Hello and welcome to another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. I'm your host, Danny Lobel, and today I'll be talking to my longtime friend, Tom Rhodes. Tom has traveled the world doing stand-up comedy. He's very, very funny and a wonderful, very nice guy I've had the pleasure of becoming friends with, uh, even more so since doing this interview. And by the way, if you like this episode, Tom also did an episode of my show, The Mostly Bull Market, Another podcast that I do that I'd love for you to check out and download, and that was a really fun episode as well. Okay, this episode is brought to you by Stand Up Records. Let's take a listen to their ad. Warning, stand-up records may cause intestinal distress, fits of insane laughter, instant diarrhea, existential malaise, headaches, nausea, dizziness, vomiting, seasonal affective disorder, more headaches, pneumomono-ultramicroscopic silico-volcanoconiosis. Stand-up records should not be handled by women who are pregnant, may become pregnant, have ever been pregnant, or personally know anyone who has been pregnant. Do not consult your doctor if he's operating heavy machinery. Stand-up records is for external application only. And stand-up records is, of course, good for a few laughs. So remember that's standuprecords.com. For the world's finest comedy CDs, DVDs, and merchandise. That's standuprecords.com. The revolution will be hilarious. Stand Up Records, the brand you know, the brand you love. And by the way, Tom Rhodes has albums available on Stand Up Records, as do I. I have my albums, Some Kind of Comedian. And many of the guests you've heard on this show also have great albums available on Stand Up Records. And now, without further ado, except for the intro song, here's my talk with Tom Rhodes. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome. To modern day philosophers. Modern day philosophers. Having failed to pay attention in school, Danny Lobel, now older and wiser, will attempt to learn basic philosophy 101. Our young hero will be joined by today's top comedians, philosophers all their own. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Danny Lobel. Modern day philosophers. Tom Rhodes in the studio. Can you hear me, Tom? Yes, I can. Danny, can you hear me? <laughs> yeah, I can hear you. Sad, huh? Gone. Say who? Weren't you doing David Bowie? I was, yeah, yeah but I, I changed saying. it from... Oh, no, that was the who. Tommy, can you hear me? Oh, I Bowie it was, was, I thought it was, this like is Major Tom, Major Tom to ground control. <laughs> can you hear me, Major Tom? Yeah. He's still, yeah. He's, they're still wondering if you could hear him. Yeah. <laughs> Different guy, huh? Were you a big Bowie fan? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Yeah, I loved Bowie. He was... Uh, are we started already? I don't know yet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was something strangely disturbing and pleasurable about his bisexuality in the... Early '80s, you know, when I was starting to listen to, um, there was a record store in Winter Park, Florida, where I would get my cool British imports. Uh -huh. I'd go and buy the Clash and Madness and the Sex Pistols and all this stuff. And, right, right. And yeah, I loved Bowie. I thought Bowie was great. Not like any particular album, but just like kind of cherry picking the songs. Yeah. Teen Genie, Rebel, Rebel, Suffragette City. I think is my favorite. Oh, that's a great song. Um, you know, uh, but but yeah, it was um, it, you know he was stylish, he was sexy, and uh, you know he was transgender before before anybody before anybody. You know, <laughs> you know what's cool about you had to go Bowie to Times was, Square to see people like that, right? He was kind of like a performer from an era that we don't have anymore, where performers <clears throat> dress different, look different, 
uh, we thought they were kind of otherworldly, you know? Yeah, he was kind of like an outer space guy, like Jimi Hendrix kind of had that just landed off of a UFO kind of thing. But I feel like all the all the performers now, it's like it's they're accessible. It's like, hey, we're just like you, only we perform, you know? Right. It doesn't seem to be, you know, too much theatrics to it, too much... Um... Well, I wish fashion would come back. That guy was fashionable. The, um, you know, now everybody dresses like shit. Right. I remember I once I once interviewed you know even the rock stars they all dress like they work at you know Starbucks in the afternoon. Right. Yeah, that's what I mean. It's just uh it's it's not there's no showmanship to it anymore. And I once interviewed Billy Connolly and he was upset that comedians don't dress up for the stage anymore. And uh Well, especially in America, a lot of American comedians look like they're going to go cut the grass. Mm-hmm. And when I first started going to London, you know, 80% of these guys dress like a million bucks. They all got great-looking suits on and stuff. Right. I was backstage at the comedy store. You know, and I, I used to be skinny with long hair, and I used to just wear mm-hmm. boots and cowboy boot, boots and T-shirts, you know, for years. And I remember the first time I went to London, I'm backstage at the comedy store, and this British comedian eviscerated this other English comedian by saying, hey, that's a nice suit. It's a shame about the lining. And like I was like, wow, the guy's like fucking slamming the dude over his lining. It's lining. Yeah. <laughs> so I always get pimp lining. What a British insult. My, oh yeah, yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That that really hit you hard, huh? You you didn't want yeah. to. You so never get, wanted I've, to be I've, in that. I've position. been getting suits tailor made for the last fifteen years. So I always get like a um, cherry red inside on the black. You're probably you still the, waiting for that time when someone's going to try and split. go after you about the lining. Ah, ah, ah. No, yeah, <laughs> no one will ever eviscerate me backstage. Split cuff, real buttonholes. Yeah, these are nice. Were they, were they made in uh, China or something? Where, do, do you get them custom? You uh, said they're custom I've had tailored. Made in Hong Kong Hong and then um, Italy and Holland. Ah, nice. You, so you go I've to. I've gone uh, to Italy a lot in the last five years. Is it very expensive, or is it or is it much cheaper to do it? That it's way? cheaper in Hong Kong. I mean, yeah. uh, with all the details, probably about four fifty. But in Europe, you know, you're looking at um, eight, nine hundred bucks. So, so that's is that your big indulgence? Would you say? Yeah, yeah. I really, I, I love clothes, and I've always, um, uh, I don't. I've been, you know, I lived in Amsterdam. And uh, I've made decent money in my career. So for me to go out in a lumberjack shirt and um, right. <laughs> dirty jeans doesn't make any sense. I know? remember I was at one of the, your specials that you taped once for Comedy Central. You invited me in New York, and you had a jacket on that had some kind of a Asian thing on the back of it. It was the red. Hindu symbol of Om, ah. which represents all of God's creation of everything that ever was and everything that ever will be. It's the eternal vibration of energy that is in everything and everyone. I just thought it was a nice that's, jacket. <laughs> that's why when people meditate, they go, um, to like lock into the... Do you meditate? Uh, no. You just like... I just thought... <laughs> just like, like that people do. <clears throat> These tailors I've used in, in Hong Kong are Hindu. And um, I asked them if they could hand stitch it on the back. And they were like, yeah. So, you know. Extra hundred bucks. Yeah, I went through a period about five years where I had the Ulm yeah. hand stitched on the back of um, my suits. But you never, you never practiced it. You just liked the symbol. Uh, I think uh, um, the Hindu religion is like the first comic book because it's uh, all these kind of monster characters, and every story is 
the story of good versus evil. And if you're a good person and you have a good heart, you will always persevere and you will always defeat evil. So it's kind of like the comic books, you know? Because you got all these interesting characters and then like, you know, the, the, the hero is against great odds and he's surely going to be defeated. But, you know, through time and perseverance and having a good heart, you eventually triumph. It kind of makes sense that that's an Indian thing because Indian people seem to embody that philosophy. I think most Indians that I've run into are the sweetest, kindest, nicest people. How yeah, you- my wife is Indian. My, my wife is from Holland, but she's... Uh, She's Indian. She's actually from Suriname, which was formerly a Dutch colony. It's at the top of South America, one of those little countries above Brazil. And the Dutch actually traded what is now Manhattan for Suriname. Uh, Still one of the worth trades of all time. And then wasn't there also a trade where the... Native Americans gave it up for beads? Is that a... Yeah, the, uh, the, the Native Americans traded Manhattan for $28 and beads. But, you know, the last time I lived in New York, I was living in the Wall Street area. Mm-hmm. And there's the Native American Museum is down there. And uh, that story is kind of bullshit because you, there's all these stories where, like, you know, oh, the, the, uh, the divine white person, you know, and mm-hmm. the, the dumb, ignorant native. But uh, the, the Indians that lived on what is now Manhattan were always at war with the Indians that live on what is now Brooklyn. And the <laughs> Dutch came, yeah. and uh, the Manhattan Indians, maybe they were on, you know, maybe they were up in Washington Heights or Harlem. They weren't down at the bottom. It's just funny to me to picture and, Brooklyn Indians. Yeah. yeah. And... Uh, <laughs> The, the, Brooklyn, the Brooklyn Indians actually sold Manhattan to the Dutch for $28 in beads. So they were fucking with their enemies, the Manhattan Indians. So they sold over land that wasn't even theirs to sell. Yeah. So it's actually like they were tricking their... I mean, just goes to show you, you should never leave your shit alone in New York City. But... Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's, a, there's more to that story than, you know... The, the dumb Native right. Americans, you know. They it's were fun. actually swindled. Yeah, well, it seems like and that those, was... those were pretty nice beads, too. <laughs> I wonder what they're worth now. They were like wonder... trading beads. They were the, Back then, people, like, traded. They were, you know, valuable or something. Yeah, it's a shame the bead market crashed. It was, <laughs> could have been a good trade. <laughs> Imagine if the beads were, were now worth more than Manhattan. Yeah. <laughs> they had them some, in some Fort Knox kind of security. These beads are worth more than the entire Manhattan Island. Oh, the best trade in, in history. Uh, so for a very long time, I know that you didn't have a home base. I always found that very fascinating about you. You, didn't, you, you were just a nomad, a traveler of the world. How yeah, about- you know, I, I lived in Amsterdam for five years. After you know, I was living in New York City... 98, 99. And then I started to um, make systematic trips to London. And for me, London was the key to everything. Uh, I loved London, still love London. Great comedy scene, great comedians. And all these international gigs were booked out of London. So Mm -hmm. from getting in with London, I got in with Europe and Australia, Asia, all these great gigs all over the world. And um, so I... Played in Amsterdam, fell in love with a Dutch girl, moved there. The relationship didn't work out. I was there for five years. I had a television show. Um, I had a late night talk show for two years. And then I was a presenter on a travel show for one year. And then when that finished, 
I moved uh, to Los Angeles. Uh, I put everything in storage when I moved to Amsterdam. So I was in LA for two years, and I wasn't here. I was paying. I was living in Koreatown. I wasn't that crazy about my apartment, and I, I was wasn't home half the time. <clears throat> and then I was doing all these international gigs, and I'm like, well, fucking why? Why live pay anywhere? rent? Yeah. Why pay rent? So I I I got rid of all my furniture. Only kept like my massive book collection, my vinyl records, family photos, kind of thing. Got it down to uh, just the most important things, and threw everything in storage ten years ago, and then traveled the world, and I spent six months of the year outside of the United States and then six months playing all over the States. My wife has been with me for seven years. And so uh, when we've had time off, the last four years in a row, we've gone to Rome and rented an apartment. Right. And uh, two years ago, I did a month in Asia and then we went to Bali for a couple of weeks. Where do you get mail or do you not get any mail? Uh, I had a, a, a family relative that I used for mail. the address. Fantastic, you know, for yeah. for credit cards and things like that. But, um, yeah, I mean, paying online, you don't, you know. Pretty exciting, yeah. yeah. So you got to see pretty much the whole world. Everywhere but Africa. No? Africa, Never been to Africa? India and Israel. Are Have you been to South Africa? Never been to Africa. Really? No. Well, you should go. They've got good gigs in South Africa. I did. I, there's a comedy festival in Cape Town. I would love to do it. I contacted... The Booker a few years ago never heard back. I'm surprised that the, I've I've been somewhere in gig where you haven't been. That's insane to you're me. in Cape Town. I was in Cape Town in Johannesburg. Wow. Yeah, really fun. Ha I got one you on got you, me. Tom. <laughs> I thought you've been everywhere. No, I've been somewhere you haven't been. Amazing. Well, you'll be there soon enough, I'm sure. Cape Town but, is supposed to be stunning. Yeah, it's beautiful. <clears throat> Johannesburg is not. I actually love Johannesburg. Really? It's, yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's it's the city that has the most tree diversity in the world. Oh wow! Because they brought in trees from all over the planet to populate the city, and it's really stunning when you go around the the, the different streets. You you run into trees you've never seen before. You wow! Know? One after another. I don't know. I liked I like Johannesburg. It's not like Australia, but... like the birds. Just the birds there are incredible. Never been to Australia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got me there. <laughs> So, so what got you fascinated? I want. I'm, I know I'm backtracking here, but what got you fascinated in the in the Hindu comic books? Where did you, where did that come from? Uh, you know, oh, I'm glad you brought that back up. My wife, who is Indian, um, doesn't have any interest in Hindu at all. Um, her aunts and her family are Hindu, but um, I know more about Hindu gods and things than she does. How did that start? I've always been fascinated by beliefs and what, you know, religion and stuff. So, uh, you know, I, years ago I read, I moved to San Francisco in the early 90s. Uh, I got really into Buddhism and the Tao and all this, you know, uh, Eastern religion and philosophy. And then just started reading about it. And, um, you know, I even, I, when I lived in Amsterdam, I, I dated a Moroccan Muslim girl and I read, um, uh, big hunks of the Quran. Just, you know, I never out. heard the Quran referred to in hunks. Oh, big, yeah. Big, big hunks of the Quran. <laughs> <laughs> How is the Quran? Oh, it's one laugh after another. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything in it that inspired you? Were there, uh, uh a, a, a woman, uh, can never refuse her husband sex. <laughs> that is inspiring. I like that. 
Did, did that but yeah, no, I'd, play I'd, out I'd in really, your relationship? I'd like, to, I'd like to read the Torah, you know? Did you have like that, that in that relationship with the Muslim girl? What? Did, did she adhere to that rule in the Quran? No, she wasn't religious, but she could not tell her family about me because I was a non-Muslim and I was a white American. And they would have... Which is unpopular with European Arabic people. Uh-huh. And... Um, uh-huh. So I mean I was I was kind of in love with this girl. So I I I I thought, hey man, you know, I'll take a look at it. And um, she told me she didn't tell her family about me because she was protecting me um, because of honor killings. I had made her unclean for marriage. So they really would have come after you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> So that kind of, you know, you hear words like honor killing, it right. uh, kind of kills the lust. Yeah, you know what? Bit. We will skip Thanksgiving now. <laughs> I'm okay with it. <laughs> My family are all Jesus freaks, really hardcore, right-wing, Christian Republicans. And, you know, I'm pro-Jesus, and, um, you know, I've always believed in God, and uh, I just thought they, it wasn't the final definitive answer. Mm-hmm. That uh, and, and I, I'm I'm not against religion. I think religion gives people great strength and hope, and uh, it's a beautiful thing if applied correctly. And I'm just fascinated by other people's beliefs. So your your beliefs seem kind of vague from what you're talking. <clears throat> you believe in God and, and I, Jesus. I believe in the good of human beings. Right, right. And whether that is from. Uh, being into philosophy or science or religion, I'm reading this great book now called "A Criminal Hi- uh, The Criminal History of Mankind," and you know it covers everything. I mean, from the beginning of Christianity, these people broke off into sects and uh, fought and killed each other, and even the begin the beginning of Islam when Muhammad died, uh, the, the 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 split between Shia and Sunni. It happened like, like two weeks after the guy died. Like, uh, you know, some people thought that the uh, his the lineage of Muhammad's daughter should have been the leader, and then other people, uh, his his nephew took over. Uh, so it was like they've had sex and infighting from the beginning, and I don't know. It causes more problems than I think. What what we can really learn from religion is that. It's impossible to get everybody on board with the same thing. You ever try to order pizza with a group of friends? Oh, it's horrible. It's impossible. Yeah. This guy wants pepperoni. This guy wants anchovy. It's right. like... It's, it's, it's actually hard to get everybody on board to do anything ever. At my bachelor party, I had a bunch of friends of mine who were supposed to be the cream of the crop friends. This guy wants cocaine. This guy wants to do mushrooms. <laughs> no one can ever decide on one. No, I couldn't get anybody to do anything. It was, I, was, I was thinking, you know, I should be able to assert myself as the bachelor in the bachelor party. But everybody, like, ah, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I couldn't unite a few friends for for several activities over a weekend. It, it was. It's. It, I don't know if it's really um, about religion or just about humanity. I think it's. I think it's just. Uh, we see it in religion very clearly, but it's in everything. You just can't get people on board with things. It's it's the individuality of people. Maybe it's a good thing, but it, any any idea that you have, people are going to interpret it 18, 25 different ways, you know? Right. I mean, I'm really into knowledge, and I'm really into philosophy. I'm glad you had me on. Um, Voltaire is my dude. Ah, yeah, we talked I'm about Voltaire huge on the Voltaire, show. huge uh, Voltaire fanatic. 
And what do you like about him? Um, he was funny. He was the great wit of the Enlightenment. And um, his life story is pretty fascinating. I think Candide is a book that everybody should read. It's a short little thin read. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, Voltaire's life was pretty fascinating. He wrote this poem on the Lisbon earthquake and said that how could God, there be a God uh, that would destroy these many people? And then Rousseau wrote a poem criticizing him that Voltaire had taken away God. Poem wars. Yeah, poem wars, basically. That was the, that was the <laughs> thing back then. So um, Voltaire was crushed. The love of his life, uh, Madame Siray had died. And then uh, he's trying to come up with a, a response to Rousseau for criticizing him. And uh, he came up with Candide after many different Which attempts. Which was his biggest hit. His biggest hit. Yeah. And it's a great... It's about um, just kind of eternal optimism. People who, like, say that, you know, because things are the way they are because that's the way God wants it and all is for the best. So this character, Candide, he goes on this journey around the world and, like, everything, every place is is worse than the place before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's just got this attitude where like, you know, everything's fine. This is the way God wants it. And then he goes to El Dorado in Peru and there's just gold and naked women and everything he wants, but he still has to find uh, this woman that he's in love with. Who, uh, it's, and the, the book ends up in Turkey. It's interesting. Candide's life sounds a lot like yours. Yeah, <laughs> okay. <laughs> it seems like you you really were inspired by that when you you went around That's one the world of my favorite books of all time. Checked it all out for yourself as well. Yeah. Do you think that that has something? But to- like the church ran everything in Voltaire's day, and you know he wrote criticisms against the church, and the aristocrats could throw you in. Oh, you made a joke about me? I'll throw your ass in the Bastille. Right. It was like Lenny Bruce. Yeah, more or less. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And like Lenny Bruce, you couldn't shut him up. Right. Well, do you think it, it, it has to do with the fact that your family were so, uh, as you put it, Jesus freaks? Jesus freaky? That's a different way. Got a nice kind of... T- they were Jesus freaky. That's a, uh, it's uh, definitely... Do, do you think that, that's what pushed you to, around the world? Do you think there was some search yeah, for Yeah, I knew there was more to life than Florida and this uh, you know, set little doctrine. But I wonder if it's all been like a big search for truth. Like maybe oh, without a doubt. Your family. Yeah. Truth, love, and comedy. Because you, you, what you learn from your family at first, you take it as fact, right? And then, right. And then you're like, oh, I don't think they're right. You, yeah, you and they're, gotta... they're all really hardcore uh, Republicans. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm, I was always the liberal communist of the family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, let's take a look at the philosopher Alex picked out for you. Seneca the Younger. Oh, my. Wait. The younger, there's only one Seneca, and Seneca is one of the greatest philosophers of all time. Yeah, Seneca is uh, is up there with Voltaire for me. Oh, one of, good. One of my all-time favorites. Well, then it's a perfect pick. I don't know who the younger is. Well, maybe there was an older Seneca that didn't... Uh, well, I guess we'll find out. The thing you have in common with him is that for a long time you didn't have a steady living place, and uh, Seneca was exiled from his home. So he had that that same kind of uh, nomadic existence for a while. Uh, His full name was Lucius 
Aeneas Seneca, often known as Seneca the Younger or simply Seneca. So it's probably Seneca. It's got, it's, that's my dude. That's Seneca. I like he's I like Seneca, Seneca. Kind of sounds like a metal band from from the eighties, or you know, I Seneca. Like <laughs> <laughs> he lived from four BC to uh, sixty five AD. Uh, he was a Roman Stoic philosopher, a statesman, a dramatist, and in one work, humorist. So yeah, he, he's, he's he was a comic of his time. Of the Silver Age of Latin Literature. He was a tutor and later an advisor to Emperor Nero. And while he was forced to commit suicide for alleged complicity in the Pisaean conspiracy to assassinate Nero, some sources state that he may have been innocent. His father was Seneca the Elder. Well, there you go. That's why he was Seneca the Younger. Yeah, but he didn't write shit. So why make the clarification? (laughs) Just out of respect for dad. <laughs> he, he was basically Seneca Jr. Uh, I guess it was before Jr. was a suffix. I wish I'd have boned up on Seneca before I came. I, he's one of my favorites. Well, we'll, well, And the Stoics believed in finding your happiness within yourself and uh, having self-control in your life. Something I struggle with all the time. I, certainly. Yeah. Good old Stoics. They had it, they had it right so many years ago. His elder brother was Lucius Junius Gallio Ananus. I'm probably saying that wrong. Called uh, Gallio in the Bible. That's a much easier way to put it. And his nephew was the poet Lucian. He was born in Cordoba, Spain. He was raised in Rome, where he was trained in rhetoric and philosophy. Trained in rhetoric. I like yeah. that. We've been trained in rhetoric. Yes, yeah, certainly. Miriam Griffin says in her biography of Seneca that the evidence for Seneca's life before his exile in 41 is so slight and the potential interest in these years for social history as well as for biography is so great that few writers on Seneca have resisted the temptation to eke out knowledge with imagination. I guess, I, I guess she's saying a lot of people made a lot of stuff up. Griffin also infers from the ancient sources that Seneca was born in either 8, 4, or 1 B.C. She thinks he was born between 4 and 1 uh, B.C. and was a resident in Rome by 5 A.D. Seneca says that he was carried to Rome in the arms of his mother's stepsister. Griffin says that allowing for rhetorical exaggeration means it's fair to conclude that Seneca was in Rome as a very small boy. Be that... As it may, it is clear that he was in Rome for a relatively early stage of his life. So I guess there's a, a bit of chatter about how when he got to Rome, but he was definitely in Rome as a kid. Yeah, there was a big things with the Romans. If you were not born in Rome, should you be a Roman citizen? But, you know, those Spain were the provinces. Here's a, this quote pretty much sums up what I was talking about, how the Stoics believed in finding happiness within yourself. Mm-hmm. Here's a Seneca quote. True happiness is to enjoy the present without anxious dependence upon the future. Not to amuse ourselves with either hopes or fears, but to rest satisfied with what we have, which is sufficient. For he that is so wants nothing. The greatest blessings of mankind are within us and within our reach. A wise man is content with his lot, whatever it may be, without wishing for what he has not. 
There's a saying in Hebrew like that. Who is Samech Bechalko? Someone who's happy with his lot. That's a, a quote from something in Judaism. I remember from being a kid. Very, very true, too, I found in my life. Like, I think I mentioned this on the podcast before, too, but I heard from someone that there was a study done on prisoners. And uh, they, they talked to, to all these prisoners who, who were spending a life sentence in prison, and some of them in solitary confinement. And they asked them, how do, you, how do you not go completely insane, knowing that you're there forever, knowing that there's no light at the end of the tunnel? What keeps you waking up and, and going through your routine throughout the day? And they said, if you focus on what you don't have, you do go insane. If you focus on all the millions of opportunities that you're forgoing by being locked in a box every day, there's no way that you can possibly function. But if you focus on what you have, then you can actually have a pretty good life. If you think, oh, I have a meal. I have a place to work out. Access to I, books. I have a, yeah, I have somewhere to sleep. If you, if you start really <clears throat> focusing on all the things that you have, you can actually wind up pretty happy even in prison. So I thought that was interesting. All right, let's take a look back at Seneca here. Caligula and Fabius, or Fabius, were critics of his work, and Columella... Pliny, Tacticus, and Dio Proponents. Dio Proponents? I guess these were just critics of his work. It's just in the sentence. Yeah, it was tough. Tried. I think it was um, Cicero. The Roman Senate cut off his hands and nailed him to the Senate doors. They told him, you watch what you say, and he kept saying shit, and they... I wonder if they doubled his knockers for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Seneca says, the, f the fight against anger is necessary for civilization. Anger is the animal impulse that leads to mutually assured destruction. Nah, well, that that kind of... Seneca seems... and the Stoics saw anger as a weakness. Mm -hmm. That you should, you should be so cool in your own mind that you should never be angered by things. But, but he's saying that Oh, the fight against anger is necessary. Yeah. No, that makes yeah. sense. That, that, that you should in. always, it, it was a real sign of weakness to get, like if you're out, if you're in traffic, if you're in a store and you get pissed off, mm -hmm. you're a weak person. You should be mentally strong enough to not be bothered by things in the world. Isn't and there that, a time? That anger led to bad for, decisions, bad actions. Is there a time for anger, do you think? Oh, yeah. Wow. Sure. Maybe there's a time when anger is important. Like if you, otherwise you can get walked all over. At a certain point, you got to kind of get angry, I would, I think. I don't know. I know what he's saying, too. Like, if, if everything blows you up, then you're, you're out of control. You know, if you're, you're waiting in line for too long and you lose your, you lose your cool, you have no self-control. I think about that at the, at the bank in my neighborhood. I'm standing in line to deposit checks, and there's like, I guess they're actors or whoever, and they're standing there and... <laughs> You know, breathing, blowing uh, air out of your nose uh, is not a good expression yeah. of unhappiness to be in a bank line. Right. It, it, I mean, certainly somebody who's able to keep their cool um, in most situations is going to come out better than the other person, I think, right? But on the other hand, if you're able to lose your temper when you need to, uh, I think I think that's very beneficial. I think it can. Well, I mean, there's small. I mean, there's the small examples of anger. Um, 
you know, my father was killed by a drunk driver in 2009, and he was a rich guy who got off with probation. And um, I've always been a really happy, mellow, uh, humanity-loving person, but I found anger taking over me um, in the year that followed. It took me a couple years. uh, And then my sister died of breast cancer, which, you know, nature, whatever. It's hard to get pissed off. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I was angry at God after that. So uh, it took me a while. But yeah, anger definitely. And it's, you know, it's hard to write jokes when you're thinking about punching people in the face. What was effective in getting rid of the anger for you? I mean, time is the best healer and then having a happy life. My wife really, um, you know, helped me through. I mean, reading Seneca, Voltaire, things like that. Um, you know, I'm thrilled that this was such a great uh, no, pick Seneca, for you. Yeah. Seneca or Voltaire, the guy, and and uh, I also like Saltra. Oh yeah, we we've, we've discussed him on the show too. Saltra or Saltra. Uh, I I can never I know how to pronounce it when I I discussed him with Maria. Bamford. I think you should say it the way Saltra oh, or Sartre or I think Sartre. the French say salt. Yeah, it's salt. Yeah, but I say. Sartre, because that's how it's spelled, and right. Americans pronounce every syllable. <laughs> so unlike other vi- vices, this is uh, going back to um, Seneca's writing, unlike other vices, it cannot be hidden, anger, that is, and seizes us like mental illness. Mastering anger comes in three parts. He says, one is avoiding anger in the first place, two is stopping your anger once it's been ignited, and three is dealing with anger in others. Uh, it sounds almost, from what I know about Buddhism, it sounds very Buddhist in its philosophy, right? It's. Uh, I know I you mean, know more Buddhists than I do. I mean, the think that possessions lead to all human suffering, and then you go to Asia, and you'll be in a shopping mall and see a Buddhist monk with brand new Nikes <laughs> at the mall. You ever been to Hong Kong? And you see, like, no. Buddhist monks uh, standing in front of a, a camera shop looking at stuff. Hey, get away from there. You're not supposed to be, you know, possessions. So I don't know. This, this, the Stoics were definitely people to be studied. Mm-hmm. He says, uh, let's see, dealing with, he says, for the first one, the first one being avoiding anger in the first place, we should remember the poor results of the anger, avoid stress, and people we know who make us angry. Well, that's, yeah, that's definitely a thing. You stay away from the people that piss you off, and you're going to be a lot less pissed off. Yeah. And I've seen that in my own life a lot. I, I've had to cut a lot of people out where I say, okay, this person. I just- always thought, you know, <clears throat> friends or family, you can only judge people by people who give you energy or people who suck energy away from you. That's a really great way to look at it. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm going through my head thinking about all the people. And, okay. Sucking or 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 giving, and uh, I have a, a whole new list of people I might not need to cut out. <laughs> he says we should take care of our bodies so that we are not irritated to begin with. Uh, also true. Whenever I eat well, I'm in a much better mood. Stop being angry once we've started, and we should get away from the source, but also consider the situation from every angle. If someone seems like they're screwing us over, this is not his words, but this is Alex's um, summation of it. He says, we should wait to hear the full story and think of their position. 
age, sickness, etc. To further help, step two, we should examine our own bad habits daily to make sure that we are not in the wrong. To deal with other people who are angry, we should keep cool and subtly trick them in subtly trick yeah, subtly trick them into rest by showing them our calm. By us staying cool when they're angry, we can sort of like, you know, Bring, yeah. the, bring them down from their fiery position. Just strengthen that. Uh, here's another Seneca quote. All cruelty springs from weakness. Yeah. Hang on to your youthful enthusiasms. You'll be able to use them better when you're older. That's true. You need to stay in... in, in enthusiasm is, is greatly underrated. You know, you, always, you, you see enthusiastic people and you think, oh, that guy's a fucking moron or something. Mm-hmm. But... Um, like just keeping your your childhood innocence, I think, is one of the secrets to happy living. And that helped me get over my anger. Just you know, um, I, you know, I love to travel. I love com. I love stand up comedy. I love jokes. So um, you know, embracing the things that I, I I love the most helped me remember what my function is in life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see it in comedians too that. At the beginning of their career, they, there's so much more going on a lot of the time because they're so young and enthusiastic. And I look at like Steve Martin, you know, that so much uh, the the wild and crazy guy and all that was young Steve Martin. And I wonder if like he had that enthusiasm for comedy now with his wisdom and his age, what what kind of Steve Martin we would see. Yeah, it's a pity he doesn't perform anymore. It's a pity Eddie Murphy doesn't perform anymore. I know? think it's also. But I think what you the point you're going to make I think when you're there's nothing harder to watch than a bitter angry comedian. Mm-hmm. I mean sometimes anger can be funny, you know, if it's directed at the right things, government and things that are fucked up in the world, injustices, but um a guy who just hates life and um is bitter is really hard to watch. Yeah. So uh that has always been my greatest fear. I never want to be a, a bitter comedian. Right, you right. Know? Yeah, me too. I remember when I was starting out, and uh, I I saw a lot of these guys who were older in the comedy clubs that were bitter. I was just like, whatever happens, I can't let that be me. And I remember a certain point where I started slipping into that, and and like and having that in the back of my mind, like, don't let it happen to you, Danny. You know, and then you got to oh, be your own yeah. best corner man. Like it, Muhammad Ali had Bundini Brown. You uh-huh. got to constantly be talking yourself <laughs> off the ropes don't get bitter danny don't, don't get, get jealous bitter. don't get yeah. bitter Stay yeah and i was i yeah. was uh you know i always thought it was funny because I, I when i was young you know i was mildly good looking and and i got <laughs> all these television things uh-huh. and i remember these older bitter comedians just hating my guts and i always thought i never want to be that guy and and even now i'm older uh and i'll see young guys who might not be the best comedians, but they're getting like tons of shit and stuff. And like, I don't ever get uh, jealous because, you know, I remember, hey, I was once the young guy who. But what if you were never that young guy? Then I might be a bit of son of a bitch. Yeah. <laughs> Seneca, fuck that guy. What does he know? He had to kill himself. Let me go back here. Trick them into rest by showing them our comp. We cannot work with or rule over others until we have control over ourselves. Yeah. Yeah, it was like, like, like I said, the Stoics were very much about self-control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the hardest thing for me, when, especially when it comes to, to eating. Like, I'm always trying to like, 
fight this. Uh, it's a it's a it's a daily battle. It's a multi time a day battle for me. I can't you know? really um, I mean, advise against that. I stopped drinking alcohol two years ago, and uh, you know I used to be a real big partier, and um, you know two Puerto Rican girls. Yeah, yeah, and sure. and and we had done ecstasy that night. That's the missing <laughs> detail. Um, but uh, I stopped doing hard drugs and I stopped drinking alcohol and. Um, one of the biggest joys in my life is food. And then traveling around the world, I love food. Like we, we talked about Rome before we started recording. Oh, yeah. And my wife, loves, my wife loves to cook. Um, so I, I love exotic food. I, like my neighborhood that I'm living in now, I just, the food there is incredible. So many great restaurants and oh, yeah. grocery stores and stuff. And um, I, I don't see that as a bad thing. You know. Right, but you don't have you don't suffer with a weight problem. Yeah, uh, um, yeah. Well, <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I'm a little you know porkier than I would like. Well, to Well, all right. But, well, but you're not. But in I can't. A, you know, I can't really yeah. see that as a bad thing. Right. You know, you just got to be careful if you're switching from one vice to another. It's not cocaine, you know. But I'll, cocaine <laughs> keeps you skinny. <laughs> yeah. So what was the the catalyst that made you uh, stop drinking and and doing all the drugs? Well. Um, I was in Philadelphia doing Helium for New Year's Eve and I uh, had three sold out shows and then I had to stay for the weekend. This was two New Year's Eves ago. So I had Thursday, January 1st off in Philadelphia. My wife was in Holland visiting her mother and, uh, I went to just some bar. I had 10 pints of Sierra Nevada. It was a normal evening for me. Mm -hmm. And wow, 10 pints. Um, I, normal evening. I've always been a heavy drinker. And I blacked out and I fell off this bar stool and my head hit the tile floor. I don't know if you can see this scar I have on my forehead oh, yeah, right there. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you can, it, it's not as visible. The first year it looked like I had a vagina on my forehead. Um, <laughs> so the, the next day, I had these Frankenstein stitches on my forehead and I had a black eye and I just saw so much ugliness in the mirror and I thought, you know, I was not put on this earth to be a drunk. I was put here to do great things. That's good. And I did not go to one single AA meeting. I, all I had to do was look in the mirror and uh, I just said, I'm done. It's weird. Some people bump their head and they can speak fluent French. You've heard these weird stories. Uh, yeah. I bumped my head and decided to not be the party lunatic. It's that like I... the Fred Flintstone effect. You remember Fred, Fred Flintstone would hit himself, get hit in the head and he'd turn into like a, this whole other you know, classy guy. Then he'd get hit in the head again. He'd go back to being the bum. <laughs> well, I better not get hit in the head. Yeah, you got to. I'm, I'm gonna so I can sure stay the classy like guy. <laughs> it's funny that you know, a stool is. What and then my sister's death also. Yeah. Um, because she wasn't. She she never smoked, never drank, never did drugs, and she got cancer and died. And I was the unhealthy one of the family. So um, those kind of things so, so helped me I to would start think, think that, about you know. I would think that that higher would purpose make you life. feel like you, you're invincible. You could keep drinking. If look at she did everything right and she died, then why even bother doing everything right? No, I think it's simple mathematics. I think if you're approaching fifty and you're still smoking two packs of cigarettes a day uh -huh. and you're drinking alcohol, I mean everything in um, popular knowledge tells you you're an idiot if right. you're doing that. So yeah. uh, it was just simple mathematics.
Well, I'm, Why, glad, I'm glad that you, you know, I'm glad you're doing good. I'm, I'm happy. It's good inspiration. Yeah, and I don't have that low level, uh, that low magnitude depression mm. when I was drinking all the time. You, you know, you wake up and you're hungover half the day and then you're like, ah, there's so much shit I wanted to do. You know, I've gotten a lot more done since I stopped drinking. I've been working on a book for the last three years. I think I'm about 80% there. It's about my life as a comedian, traveling the world, all these different things that have happened to me. Um, I was maced in Paris. Uh, I almost drowned in Thailand. I had a late night talk show in Amsterdam. You know, I've had a pretty fascinating life. Yeah, fantastic. You, you really experienced the planet you're on. Yeah. Which a lot of people don't do. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's interesting to me that it was a bar stool, just the simple thing of falling off a bar stool that got yeah. you in the end. Something, you know, you take for granted that you, you can be balanced on a bar stool. It's not like somebody punched you in the face and, you, you know, you got so drunk you got in a fight and wound up with stitches. You literally just fell. It, it, well, had the stool been at the bar, I could have been leaning on the bar, but it wasn't. It was against the back wall of this little drinking man's bar. It's so interesting how yeah. such a little thing can have such a big impact. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I think it's the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. The fact that I busted my head open in Philadelphia. It'd be funny if you, you went around giving motivational speeches to alcoholics. Sit on a stool. Yeah. It worked for me. Get drunk and sit on a I stool. I don't know. You know, so many people struggle with it, and they have to go to yeah. AA meetings and stuff. And I never, you know, oh, man, I gotta, I'm got i going to go sneak a drink. You just sort of hit a... Cigarettes were more difficult. I gave up cigarettes mm -hmm. nine months ago, and cigarettes were, that was the hardest to quit. Why? Why do you think that is? Because just because the addiction is so strong. I, I, you know, even tried hypnosis and it didn't work. So what was effective? Just cut it off cold turkey and uh, nicotine lozenges. Yeah, <laughs> so this is how I quit. Yeah, I'm glad I don't have the smoking one. But the I think smokers and and overweight people have in common is that it's so accessible and it's it, it's not you know, it's not like drinking or drugs where you got to go to someone to... I think if you're eating yeah. shit food, you know, like Cheez-Its and all this baked crap, uh, then you should feel guilty. If you're, if, you're, right. if you're eating wonderful, exotic foreign foods, <laughs> I, you have nothing to feel bad about. <laughs> all right. We have, a, we have a paragraph here from, uh, from our guy, uh, Seneca. And, uh, I want to meet your guy that picked Seneca for me. I think that was brilliant. I'll, I'll introduce and it, you. And uh, these are just things that I remember. Off the, if, if I'd had known the topic, I could have boned up a little bit. But fortunately, I know Seneca very well. Well, here's a paragraph. Will you uh, do the honor of reading this paragraph it. for us? I should write how anger may be soothed. And it appears to me that you are right in feeling a special fear of this passion, which is above all others hideous and wild. For the others have some alloy of peace and quiet, but this consists wholly in action and the impulse of grief, raging with an utterly inhuman lust for arms, blood, and tortures, careless of itself, provided it hurts another, rushing upon the very point to the sword and greedy for revenge, even when it drags the avenger to ruin with itself. Some of the wisest men have in consequence of this called anger, a short madness, for it is equally devoid of self-control, regardless of decorum. 
forgetful of kinship, obstinately engrossed in whatever it begins to do, deaf to reason and advice, excited by trifling causes, awkward at perceiving what is true and just, and very like a falling rock which breaks itself to pieces upon the very thing which it curses. Other vices can be concealed and cherished in secret. Anger shows itself openly and appears in the continence, and the greater it is, the more plainly it boils forth. That guy, uh, that, that nails it. Um, after the drunk driver killed my father, like I was saying, I, I felt like I was starting to be consumed by anger. My thoughts were of finding this guy and seeking revenge. And, you know, you're, uh, you can be broken to pieces on the very thing that you want to crush. That's, that's anger and revenge. Mm -hmm. And uh, I like this sentence, other vices can be concealed and cherished in secret. You're cherishing your vices in secret. That's that, yeah. that, that, that's that's beautiful. Yeah, but yeah, that's uh, I'm, I'm, it. It took me a while to um, work that shit out of my life. Yeah, I like I love the poetry and how he said it. You know, and I feel like he probably wrote this for the people that were after him. And hey, read this pamphlet right right before you have me kill myself. Seneca was a badass, man, and fortunately his writing survived. There's, uh, I, I've got, I think, four or five Seneca books, and one are, is of letters that he wrote, and um, everything you're going to... There's, there's not a lot of fat on the pork chop. Mm -hmm. it's, um, it's all really great advice for living. I'm relating to it, too. I mean, I, I don't lose my temper very often, but when I do, I hate it. I hate I hate how I feel about myself. Yeah, I don't get yeah. I, I mean it's, small things don't bother me, you know. It's 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 bigger injustices when you start fantasizing about mm -hmm. revenge and stuff. And yeah. uh what about now? What if you ran into that guy now? Uh I it uh, I would probably Peel his skin off with a rusty paring knife. <laughs> All right, okay. so it's an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, I don't know if I ran into the guy. I yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's the test. But, I, but I I'm, guess, I mean. I'm not actively daydreaming about doing the guy harm right. anymore. That's good. So, so that's a huge graduation from <laughs> from where I was uh, five years ago. Yeah, I was thinking if you're just peeling his skin off at the rusty part, <laughs> I mean, you could still live without skin. <laughs> Maybe that's a step in the right direction. That's my mother's sentence. My mother's a sweet little religious woman, and we we're there was some story in the news years ago about you know some pedophile um, child rapist murderer, and my mom said. He should have his skin peeled off with a rusty paring knife. I think that's even funnier coming from a yeah. sweet little religious woman. <laughs> yes, he should, Ma. Yes, he should. But yeah, no, I, you know, my, my, my wife is wonderful. I got a great life, you know. Um, uh, I, I love making jokes, and I'm, I'm, I'm truly blessed, or whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So I should have, there's no reason to be anger, angry. Yeah, I like it. Um, I'm glad to hear it too. 
I'm, I'm happy to see this version of you too. No, I'm, I'm, I'm more back to my regular self, you know? I mean, creativity is everything. Writing, making jokes, uh, making videos. I've been making these, this series of videos. I'm putting them out every Friday called Knowledge Nuggets. Oh, cool. And they're just different. Uh, uh, like I watched one of them. I watched one of them. It was Which fantastic. one did you see? I, I can't remember, but you were sitting in front of a bookshelf. Yeah, that's my bookshelf. Yeah. That's, my, uh, that's what I had in storage, those yeah. thousands of books. No, I thought it was great. I, you know, I totally forgot about it until you said that now. That's my living room. Yeah. Uh, my living room looks like a library and, uh, and, and books are really precious to me, you know, uh, they're one of the few things you saved in the locker. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that like, uh, they're different things. Uh, You're like a man who was frozen. <laughs> what? You're like a man who was frozen though to, to be thought out 10 years later. <laughs> Put all yeah. your stuff in a little Exactly. Like, all right, yeah, no, a lot of it was like time capsules to yeah. my future self. Yeah. You know? Uh and and I've got all these comedy notebooks uh about 50 that I've been keeping since I was like 17 years old. And um and I mean and those are invaluable. And I just started to look through those. But the knowledge nuggets, my YouTube channel is um called King of Haha, but you could search Tom Rhodes. But knowledge nuggets, like Shakespeare. When Shakespeare was putting on his first play, that's what it was. That's the one that's you saw. That's the one I saw. When Shakespeare uh, he was, was up on... against uh, lions being thrown in with children. No, 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 no not so, lions. So, uh... No, but Shakespeare's biggest competition from the theaters all around the Globe Theater were shows where live animals fought to the death. Ah, right, right. And one of the most popular ones, uh, the show that always sold out, was. Uh, they would take a monkey and put him on top of a horse. This is a little theater. Mm -hmm. And then they would let in like five dogs that hadn't eaten in a week. And the dogs yeah. would claw the horse to death trying to get at the monkey. And the monkey's screaming and going ape shit, afraid for his life. Yeah. And the monkey would not, the show was not over until the monkey was dead. I remember watching that. And was, so yeah, like, that's the one. Imagine, you know, you're like a theater goer. Back then, you're like, you know, should we see this? I like that line. Should we go see should this we go Shakespeare see this thing or should we, see or should we go the see? The monkey. <laughs> well, you know how difficult it is to get monkey brains out of your 15th century English ruffles. Let's give Shakespeare a try. Right. And then the last one that I put up is about Thomas Edison. Um, Thomas Edison, did he invented the light bulb, but he did not want to make money selling light bulbs. He wanted to make the money selling you electricity. For your home and the cities and the country. He's wise. I actually used and, to sell light bulbs. It's not an easy gig. Really? Yeah. That uh, was one of my first jobs. Really? Yeah, I went door to door at businesses in Manhattan selling them. And once light you've bulbs. done that, I have an idea joke <laughs> once, you can never do it's it again. Over. Yeah. So um, Thomas Edison's only competition was from George Westinghouse. They're starting to build power stations in the Northeast. And Westinghouse used alternative current and Edison used direct current. So Edison was against... It's like the, the mainstream comedy and the alt comedy scene. You had I get it, but the alternative <laughs> is what eventually is what we still use today. So Edison actually was yeah. wrong. But at the same time, the uh, electrical inventions, everybody's, everything's turning electric at the turn of last century. Um, people thought it was inhumane that the government hung people to kill them. And Edison, so someone had thought of an electric chair to execute people. Edison was vehemently against capital punishment, 
but he secretly funded the development of the electric chair with Westinghouse electricity because he wanted to get it into the minds of the American people that Westinghouse electricity will kill you. And Edison put on these demonstrations where he would execute dogs, horses, and once in Coney Island, New York, he executed a circus elephant named Topsy. <laughs> First of all, I'm very impressed that you retained all that information. Yeah, so I mean, like, including I mean, the name kind of, of the a cock elephant. move to kill these yeah. precious creatures, but uh, a brilliant marketing move right. to you know make people afraid of the competition's <laughs> style of electricity. Yeah. So, so these are the kind of knowledge nuggets that. I put out fantastic. Week. Yeah, I love the Shakespeare one. I don't retain things, and they're only as like well, two minutes you know? long. So, well, I have a, f- a few. Uh, I highly recommend. First of all, highly, highly recommend people check them out, and uh, and also I have a, a few more quotes here by Seneca. Uh, by, yeah, by, by by Seneca himself, and uh, I always ask the the guests as to, long as the word continence doesn't pop back up, I think I'll be okay. <laughs> all right. So. <laughs> <laughs> you want me to read another one? Yeah, we still have three, uh, our three more quotes. I know you gave us a few Seneca quotes earlier, but we got three more Seneca quotes here to uh, round off the show. Are you, are you willing to read us? Some? Oh my, I could talk Seneca all day. Absolutely. All right. Okay. Cool. So you want me to read the first quote here? Yes, please. Tis the first art of kings, the power to suffer hate. What does that mean? Tis the- Haters. You're the king. People hate you. People always talking shit about you. So to you know, um, sit there in your purple clothes and the throne. Um, shake it off, kid. So he's saying that's that's the art of <laughs> the art of kings is that you're able to take criticism or hate. Yeah, I guess. So so if you get an angry email or something nowadays, uh, and, and you're able to just dismiss it, you say, oh, "This is the art of kings." I don't I don't think I've ever gotten an angry email. I can't think that I have either, to be honest with you. No, they're usually. Very nice emails. But I hear about people getting angry emails. It's like what? You're a shit comedian. I hear I hear about people really? get angry emails. I don't <clears> know. <throat> to, to, to be honest, I have I used I got it. No, it's true. I did get some angry emails. But it was uh after I, I pulled a stunt once on a show and I upset the listeners of the show. I got a bunch of angry emails then. And I may I remember it made me feel really bad. I haven't gotten any ever since. But uh, it was, it did feel bad because people write like mean things about you, and you start to believe it for a minute. And I think uh, it's been so many years ago since it happened. But I think I think it is an art to be able to sort of brush off negative. I think that's the way people can apply it, whether it's an angry email or anything. Just being able to brush off negativity directed at you, even if it's coming from yourself. Well, you know, you got to remember that people are going to hate you no matter who you are. If you're Oprah, there's somebody going to hate you. There's always going to be people that hate you no matter what. People are jealous of you because you have a podcast. You live in Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Everywhere else is getting pounded with snow. Um, I don't know. Just um, Especially now with the internet and anonymous commenting and shit, there's just just a lot of um, hate being splashed around. So be like a king. Don't let it get you down. The art of kings is... Isn't that what he's saying? The yeah. Art of Kings is brush it off. Yeah. Shake it off, kid. <laughs> Mr. Actor in the bank, stop blowing so hard <laughs> through your nostrils. It's not making the line go any faster. <laughs> I love that that's the thing that got you. <laughs> I just think it's hilarious. 
It is. <laughs> I'm like, because to me, it's yeah. always a good day when you're depositing money. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. And then this guy's in line, <laughs> and he's like all being all huffy, like right. it's going to make any difference whatsoever. <laughs> and other people get angry at like the tellers and stuff. It's like they they don't fucking represent the bank. They're an employee. Yeah, there's nothing they can do. Yeah. I, it must be tough to be a bank teller because I don't think they make that much money, but they're constantly seeing how much everybody else is making. It must be like, ugh. You're just trapped in a box watching everybody else's income come in. And then I wonder if it's if it's any kind of relief when somebody makes around what you make. And you're like, all right, this guy's like... <laughs> 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 or I'm doing better than that guy, at least. People must come in with huge sums of money and be like, here, just uh, put that in and you're st- stuck in that box. Like, oh, how do they do it? Well, I think it's funny. You see a lot of angry people in Los Angeles in general. It's like, what do you have to be angry about? Mm-hmm. Weather's great. A lot of different ethnicities, food, <laughs> exciting shit going on all the time. Beach. It's the pretty, beach, yeah. yeah. It's a pretty great place. I was walking down Fairfax by Cantor's uh, a couple months ago, and the whole street had been blocked off, and they had 1970s cars lining the street, and they were filming like a 1970s period peace movie. And all these people were dressed up on the sidewalk with like afros and bell-bottom pants and shit. And they must have been taking a break between scenes because I walked mm. through. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. <laughs> I just walked through 1978. <laughs> yeah, it's appreciating these things that really make, make you happy. It, I, I've, I've said it before, but I think happiness is just appreciation. I think, uh, you know, the more you can appreciate, well, was the more it, the, you're happy. The Abraham Lincoln quote, people are as happy as they make their minds up to be. Uh-huh. Yeah, that's true. It's all, it's all within your power, especially talking about this anger. You know, it's all, the fact that you can control anger means you can control the opposite as well. You can control how happy you are, angry, sad. It's just having mastery over your emotions, which is a tough thing to have. But Yeah. But if you can have it, you know, then you're set. Well, I don't know. I think most people don't realize how powerful they are and, um, you know, what a difference your life makes. Even if you're not a comedian in your own little world, within your own family. I mean, uh, I think that's what I was trying to allude to before about, um, you know, I, I, I realize how lucky or blessed or whatever word you want to use I am to... You know, I've made three CDs. I've 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 done you know several specials. My biggest, uh, not really frustration, but my my whole thing now is coming up with the new hour, so I can do my next Netflix special. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a pretty luxurious place to be in. Great place. Like, to oh be. my God, I'm I'm about halfway there. It's I wish it was coming faster, but hey, man, that's my... That's, that's your... That's the biggest toil in my right. life now is yeah. the coming up with jokes. That's my biological function. Fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. a good place to be. It's great. Because like when you're angry and you're defeated by your own emotions, you're not putting light in the world. Yeah. But if you're doing good acts and good deeds or, or you know, just, you know... Uh, creative endeavors, making videos or art or, or comedy or music. Yeah. You're, you're putting light into the world. Like what you said earlier with that person who is going through chemo 
you didn't even realize that a light that you lit at some point was still burning. You don't there, realize there it whose was, lives you know? you're touching. Yeah. And that's the great thing about comedy is that, you know, you, you don't know, um, you know, who needs to forget about some shit that's going on in their brain. Yeah. And it's all the power of words. Same as what, when we read Seneca's words from way back and they argued over if it's 3 AD or 1 AD or whatever, what day he was born, what year, but his words are still making us feel and discuss and talk. And, and, and that's the power of comedy. That's, it's all the power of words. You know, I hear people talk about like, oh, what about that material? What's the point of all, all the material that you do and, you know, it gets, it expires or whatever and you, you move on to new material and what's the point of that? It's, it's because you're putting thoughts out there. You're putting words out there and, and they affect people. I don't know. It's just a powerful thing. It Being is. able to assemble words in a certain way where you can control someone else's emotions. Where you, you know, you, you can put the same words together in different order and make someone happy or sad or laugh. It's, it's, it's all, you know, it's like figuring out the formula to, to use words to, to control emotion. So in that way, not only are you mastering your own emotion, but you can master the emotions of an entire room of people. By putting, <laughs> switching the and and or in a sentence. <laughs> I don't know. You want to give us the next quote? Oh, I'd love to, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> Arms observe no bounds, nor can the wrath of the sword, once drawn, be easily checked or stayed. War delights in blood. That's like that old quote, you know, Alexander wept after... He had conquered everything. There was nothing left to conquer. Um, this book that I'm reading, uh, A Criminal History of Mankind, I just read all about Genghis Khan. And they're just like, you know, they got as far as Poland. And they were just, uh, they had just like China, all of Asia, uh, you know, the Arab world. They had just like slaughtered and raped. And they, they didn't, they thought... I think it was Kublai Khan came after Genghis Khan. And Genghis Khan passed on the philosophy, uh, I guess it was his son, Kublai Khan, that to stay and have civilization, would they would lose their empire. That they had to keep moving forward and slaughtering mm -hmm. and raping and letting the soldiers pillage. And uh, like they would do things like they would make peace with a, uh, a region of Russia and they'd give all this like gold and presents and stuff and then uh, circle around and slaughter these people as they were heading back home and take back the shit that they gave them. That's so that's what that reminds me of, that war delights in blood. Mm -hmm. That, you know, once you start killing and doing all this shit, it's, uh, I guess it's a high. And then it's also, um, you know, they saw it as... To, to stay and have civilization and make families and art and pursue science was, uh, you know, the way to lose everything that they had Must murdered have been for. exhausting. Like, oh, my yeah. God, we got to rape and murder a whole other city tomorrow and then another one the next night? I never get any rest. Yeah, and then halfway through Genghis Khan's uh, reign, they figured out an interesting tactic where they would take all these slaves, you know, they would enslave the children and the women, and they'd kill all the men. But then also they, they took like thousands of people and made them march in front of 
the warriors and the horses and everything. Mm -hmm. So that uh, an army coming to attack them would have to work their way through these thousands of innocents before they got to the soldiers. So like your arms got to be tired from like slicing people's heads off and, wow. and sticking them in the chest and stuff. So uh, it was like a padding, uh, a cushion. Right, right. Before they got to the, the real fighters. That's a smart tactic. Yeah, he was a bad motherfucker. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's... And the last one uh, by Seneca we have today. No one is able to rule unless he is also able to be ruled. I don't know about that one. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't... Because, uh, like, well, the popes kept trying to control these kings in Europe. And um, I think it was Otto the Great in Germany. They excommunicated him. And then he went all the way to Rome. And the... Uh, or maybe the... Um, the papal capital was in Avignon, France at that time. Uh, the Pope made him wait outside in the snow for three days before he would come in and accept his apology. And then the Pope had aligned with Otto's enemy. So his apology did nothing. So Otto went back to Germany, got his army of barbarians and attacked and sacked Rome. So mm -hmm. um, just, I don't know. Some people don't want to be ruled. <laughs> but maybe 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 it means to be an effective ruler. You have to be able to be ruled. Like a, like maybe that's how the presidents of America work. I mean, they're kind of ruled by Congress and all the different theoretically. Right. And in that way they can rule. I mean, giving somebody absolute power probably makes them a bad ruler. I would I would think, you know, you it gets to your head, you get well, too look crazy. Well, look at many mall security guards. I mean, any tiny I'm bit listening. of power goes to people's heads. You look at these, some of these mini mall security guards, and they walk around like they're John Wayne, their little, their little territory of the parking lot. And, hey, what are you kids doing over there? Hey, asshole, I'm tying my shoe. Yeah. Hey, well, just make it quick. Well, fuck you. This isn't your mini mall. You're a security guard. Power corrupts. Yeah. So maybe that's what he means. You gotta, you gotta be able to be in check. To be a to be a good leader, you gotta. If you think if you think you're you're all powerful, you're you're screwed. You're not gonna be able to lead. You know, you maybe you can rule, but you can't lead. Is that what he says? Does he say lead? No one is able to rule unless no. he is also able to be ruled. Yeah. We should um, tweet that to Kanye West. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever that means. Yeah. But that was the great thing that religion did for the kings of Europe, that it gave them guilt and fear of a higher power. So they were being that, ruled in that way. I guess somewhat that, you know, oh, you know, maybe I won't be such a shitty asshole if <laughs> I'm ultimately going to be judged one day. Right, right. Yeah, I guess so. I guess once you, you know, if you look at like the uh, Ayatollahs and all of them uh, with... These Arab countries, they're not able to rule because nobody's ruling them. Saddam Hussein, he, he was able to rule for a little while. At least he kept, kept the, the fanatics in check. Mm, well, you know? By, by being a bigger fanatic. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how we feel about that argument. Basically just, uh, 
having a badder guy keep the bad guys good. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, um, yeah, that's, um, <laughs> yeah, that last one kind of threw me a little bit. The I was with him this all the This is the, the way. heaviest podcast I've ever done. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'll that's take good. it as a compliment. Yeah. That's good. Cool. No, it's good to talk about lofty issues. Yeah. Yeah, there's got to be a place for it. So, what do you think? How do you feel about the about the show? You feel good about it? Do you I feel, feel great, man. I'm yeah. I'm glad you picked Seneca. I'm glad we, you know, I I feel like cleansed almost because we talked about you know this anger I had for a couple years and uh, and I haven't thought about it in a while, so it's great. Mm-hmm. So now I realize I am you know several years past it. You're evolved. Yeah, I'm just in a much happier place. I I think. The traveling was great for me, but I think it was really great to finally get a place. And, you know, I love having access to my book collection and my old notebooks and, um, you know, photos and videos and and just to have a, a little cozy pad with my wife. Yeah. And, and to a degree, I, I've made peace with Los Angeles because I lived here twice before. I lived, uh, first time I lived in L.A., I had a sitcom and I lived on top of the Hollywood Hills the second time I lived in L.A., I was broke and I lived in Koreatown. And um, this time is like the three bears, uh, the porridge is just right. That's interesting, you know? yeah. Yeah, so I mean, yeah. I'm in a great relationship. I'm happy in my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't, uh, I'm not using Hollywood as a measuring stick. I didn't move here to be a star. Mm-hmm. I just moved here to be happy and, and live in the sunshine. That's good. I think that's the way, That that's the healthy way. Never... I don't. I, I don't think I've ever let any of these places measure me too much. You know, expectations I don't, will kill you. Yeah, I, that's the thing. You know, whether you you know like oh you you know like maybe I'm too old or you know you're you you, you know you you you've you mentioned come up your, with excuse your, my, my, my your weight, weight yeah. things that like if you if you set your clock by Hollywood and what their standard is, you're always going to feel bad about yourself. I would say everything about show business is designed to hurt your feelings. makes sense so you can't you know you can't think in those terms you know yeah just just do your thing and see what happens right yeah try to stay positive i think that's what we learned for sure from seneca yeah i I think creativity is a big big thing to happiness for me anyway yeah as long as i'm creating i'm happy yeah well i'm happy you're here yeah. I'm happy to have gotten to spend this time. Yeah, it's great to see you, Danny. We only see each other every couple of years, but it's always uh, a soul-enriching experience when it happens. Thanks, man. Well, you're back from your uh, Odysseus journey now, so... <laughs> yeah, you got to see my apartment. It looks like a National Geographic gift shop. Oh, really? Yeah. I got <laughs> Peruvian chess sets. I have uh, Argentinian uh, blankets. I've got, you know, all kinds of things. That's pretty cool. Yeah, you, you got your collections from all over the world yeah. in one spot now. That's fantastic. I imagine it'd be like something like Hemingway's uh, office or something when you walk in there, you know, with all the African trinkets and this and that. It's oh, yeah, he had a lot of animal heads. He was yeah. a big hunter and stuff Right, like right, that. right. Yeah, I don't have any animal heads but it's it's cool you're, you're well traveled and now you're you're nesting <laughs> that's exactly what i'm doing i'm nesting yeah, yeah it feels you've, good you've collected twigs from around the globe and you built a nest no and it's really life. great too man because um you know, i've got this brilliant vinyl record collection and uh my wife and i start the day by playing like jazz records i'm like 
it's funny how like I used to be like so you know into like all the current bands and everything. Um, it's like uh, we listen to Ella Fitzgerald a lot. Yeah, Ella Fitzgerald's Gershwin songbook, the Cole Porter songbook, the Duke Ellington songbook, oh, yeah. and uh, you know Coltrane. Um, you know, just it's like really so the before best I turn on the computer yeah. or start letting the news and the clutter of the world come into my brain, uh, the first hour of the day, at least, I'm just playing nice jazz records and just start to let my brain uh, pop. It's like a meditation. On its own, I guess. Starting the day with good good vibes. I yeah. love it. Well, thanks for being here, man. Danny, great seeing you, brother. All right. Shalom, amigo. <laughs> Shalom, amigo. I'll see you soon. Hopefully, now that you're here in town. Yeah, more often. Let's get some food. All right. I'm, <laughs> you know I can't say no. Damn it. Maybe I should. Self-control. everybody that's my interview with tom rhodes i hope you liked it i had a great time talking to him and we even had some soup afterwards up in my office i have a soup thing now i don't know if i ever told you about that and i don't know why i would but i got a thing to warm soup in the office and put on some jazz and tom and i listened to some music and had some soup and hung out after the show it was really fun also go check out tom rhodes podcast which is called tom rhodes radio and like i said before check out our other episode that we did for the Mostly Bull Market Podcast. Thanks to those of you who support the show. If you want to make a donation, it's always very appreciated. You go to moderndayphilosophers.net. There's a donate button. You can click it, make a donation there. You can also write me anytime just to say hello. I'd love to hear from you to the comical at yahoo.com. All right, everybody. Have a great week. Until next time when I bring you another exciting and jam-packed episode of Modern Day Philosophers. Okay, bye, everybody. Have a great week.